Nothing worse than reading a disgruntled member's email they've sent late Saturday night, reading that Sunday morning. Your preaching is going to be messed up in your head because of that email. Stay away from it. Keep the air as clear as possible from when you wake up right through to the first song. Put some worship music on in the car. And I know when you've got young children, this is difficult to do, but keep it as clean and as clear as you possibly can. Don't have any heavy conversations before church. Save them for after church if you have to have them. And I'm talking normative here, uh, Jeff. I know there's situations where crises have to be attended to, but normally pastors do your absolute best to keep your spirit calm, clear, relaxed and prayerful on a Sunday morning. So you're entering into the worship, into the service with the minimal amount of distractions. Welcome, my friend. This is the weekend edition of the Coaching for Pastors podcast. That's right, my friend. This is weekend edition number 29. Good to have you with me. Hey, last week we had an episode with John Finkeldy from Perth, Australia, and it was Johnny who spoke to him. And this week we've got John back, and it's me who speaks to him this week on the topic of, you guessed it, we've been talking about it all week, preaching. You can find John at growahealthychurch.com where he's been residing for many years, coaching pastors and church leadership teams. So check that out, growahealthychurch.com. And John wrote a book called Preaching in a Whatever World. And John coaches pastors, and he's been doing it for a long time. He consults with churches and church leadership teams. But one of the things he does is he coaches pastors in their preaching. And so I wanted to pick John's brain on this topic. And I start out by asking him, what is a whatever world? And here's my conversation with John Finkeldy. What is a whatever world? How do you define that? Yeah, look, when I was when I was writing the book and thinking of a title that kind of captures what preaching is like today, um, we're not preaching in a calm, settled, secure, uh, everybody knows ABC world. It's a whatever world. So when people kind of say to you, uh, you say something, and they say, oh, whatever. And it's kind of um, it's kind of a dis- dismissive approach when someone either is positing an opinion or is sharing something that maybe is a bit confronting. People go whatever. It's kind of like brushing it away. And so I think we're ministering in a, in a context today. We never minister in a vacuum, but our context today is a, a distracted world, a scared world. It's an uncertain world in a huge way. It's, I think it's an overloaded world. And, and probably ultimately an uncommitted world that wants to bat away um, that truth of the scriptures, that truth that Jesus wants to bring to ultimately bring freedom, bring truth and life and ultimately love into people's hearts. So uh, that kind of whatever world thing captured for me the context that uh, pastors wrestle with today. It's a complex situation that pastors are often ministering into. We live now in a 24-7 online global community, even talking about, you know, Scott McKnight's podcast bouncing from the States to Australia, off to England. Um, we live in a world that is far more complex today. And it's, I think it's 
almost easier for people to go, oh, whatever. You know, you preach a great message and people in their heads go, whatever, I'll just ignore that. So I think it's a, it's not an easy world for pastors to be preaching into. It's a challenging world and uh, calling us as pastors, I think, to rise to the occasion with our preaching. So not even just apathetic, but even distracted and even amused by all kinds of different things in our cultures. Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, there's a lot. There's a lot grappling for people's attention uh, today, even when people are in church. And, you know, I've seen in church today people pull out their smartphone to read their Bible on and maybe post something from the sermon on Facebook or maybe get lost in Facebook during the sermon. But uh, there is there is a there's a there's a whole world of, of different distraction and pain that you're preaching into the middle of that demands more of us today as pastors. Not an easy day to be a preacher. Uh, Jeff, not an easy day, and I think that's why we need to get upskilled and better at what we do. No doubt about that. Now, do you believe that uh, preaching in any kind of a lecture format is it still viable? Is it? Viable? Yeah. Look, I, I, if you think back to uh, generations of the, the scriptures, uh, preaching was a primary way that God brought. Uh, his message, his word to people. He would land a word within the hearts of his servants and then they would declare it. The prophets of old, um, men of faith, women of faith over the centuries uh, before Christ would use primarily a, a declarative way of, of bringing the word of God to people. And Jesus used the primary same method of gathering people and preaching, talking, connecting with them, communicating with them. You see it right through the book of Acts, and then you see 2,000 years of church history where this wonderful tool, this this wonderful skill set that God gives his leaders and his pastors to bring truth to people. And I I think it's still relevant today. Um, Even in our political culture, you see one of the primary forms that politicians connect uh, with the nations is through lectures, through talking, through speeches. Um, People are used to going to seminars, educational institutions where someone is up the front giving information, giving knowledge, giving wisdom. People go to all sorts of self-help groups today to hear a guru talk about the way to improve your life. So I think someone standing in front of a group declaring a truth is certainly you know, not out of not not out of vogue at all. And if you think about some of the great moments in history, uh, Abraham Lincoln's Gettysburg Address, uh, Winston Churchill will fight them on the beaches, will fight them in the air. Uh, some of the great speeches are turning point moments in nations. So I don't think we'll ever get to the stage in our culture where someone standing and delivering well-crafted words will ever be out of vogue. And I think. Uh, as much as people like to watch videos and movies, I think a well-crafted address, whether it be a sermon or a seminar, can still change people at the very core of who they are. See, and I'm glad that you shared that, John. And I asked that question specifically because I think, especially younger people in our culture, they they can be fooled by the intimidation mm. of the culture into thinking yeah. that it has to be uh, it has to be some kind of a technological breakthrough, or it's got to be it's got to be audio and visual. It, you know, it's yeah. it's got to be dramatized, whatever. And I, and I'm not downplaying the the effectiveness of any of those things to augment our communication. But mm. but honestly, if if you're going to meet with a friend, 
uh, you know, you can talk to them on Skype. You could talk to them on the phone. You could record a YouTube video. You can send it to them. You could write them a letter. You could send them an email. I mean, you could you could communicate in Morse code for for that matter. But in in about uh, three weeks, I'm going to get on a plane and I'm going to fly to Philadelphia, and I'm going to meet mm-hmm. my best friend who I was roommates with more than forty years ago. Wow. And while we talk on the phone and we do all the other, these other things, there there is no substitute for us sitting face to face across from each other and just yeah. just sharing FaceTime. And I and I think that yeah. that's true. Also, uh, I know it's true. Also, when we talk to people and we want to share with them the most important truth on earth, you know, from God's word. Yeah. And share, yeah. you know, the love of Christ. It, it's got to be from our mouth to their ears, from our eyes to their eyes, and that, yeah. that personal communication. Yeah, it's it's just yeah. never going away. So, I think so, there is a, also you're right that I think uh, younger preachers can get caught up with that that thought you said of augmenting the spoken word with visuals or you know, kind of using object lessons or videos. And I think that can be a trap where uh, younger preachers, even older preachers, I guess, can lean on those um, other mechanisms, those other communication uh, modes uh, too heavily. And I think there's nothing as powerful uh, personally as as a well-crafted message where words really matter, where words really count, where stories are told in such a way that the pictures are built within people's minds without a video playing, um, without an object lesson or an object held out as, as a way of illustrating. I, I think you can bring alive people's imaginations with, with words that are well put together. And we, we have so much uh, so much raw material in the Bible. I mean, you're never, you're never going to live long enough to preach everything that's in the Scriptures and every story. Uh, you have to be around a long time to do all that. There is so much there in raw material that, that is there only in the written word. There's no videos of Scripture from 2,000 years ago. So I think words are powerful on their own, and I think young preachers especially should avoid the trap of, of always augmenting their sermons with too much um, too much material beyond words. Nothing wrong with weaving it in here and there. I'm not against that. Um, but I, I think you want to rely on the ability to speak in a way that grabs people's attention and draw, draws them to a great decision. And it certainly does exercise our minds, if in order to in order to articulate the thoughts and the teachings yeah. of Scripture, and and yeah. and we need that. Yeah, totally, totally. John, the last time we got together, we talked about the tip about making a preaching calendar. And uh, mm-hmm. after we kind of uh, talked about the history of preaching in our lives, we talked about making yeah. a preaching calendar. And and t- today I want to talk about four other tips that you have in your book, uh, Preaching in a Whatever World. Tip number five says invest in study tools. Now, the, the question, I think the obvious question that a lot of probably young pastors would have is, hey, we've got the Internet. Why, why? Yeah. It's all free. Why should we have to invest in study tools, and 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 what kind would we invest in? So, talk to us about that. Yeah, look, I, I think the internet is certainly helpful. You can go to Bible Gateway or Blue Bible. I think it is online. There, there's some online commentaries that you can even get into. Um, the the thing is, I I think you need to, uh, you know, you value what you pay for. 
and free stuff will only take you so far. So I think it's 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 imperative for churches to make sure that their pastors have an annual uh, study allowance that enables them to buy uh, great Bible dictionaries, um, great Bible commentaries, uh, Bible handbooks, all sorts of materials that will help uh, them in their study. So I think if your um, church, you're at the listening pastor and your church doesn't provide an allowance for that, have a, have a talk uh, to your board, to your eldership, uh, to those that you work with, and make sure they're giving you some money so you can invest. Because if you will invest some finance into really good resources, uh, you'll do what I've done over the last year. It would be 25 years now. I've built up a digital library every, every year, adding to that library. Um, I use Logos Bible software. It's a, it's a fairly complex a program when I first started getting into it wasn't that expensive. It's a bit expensive today, but I think churches should buy their pastors the basic package for those sort of materials, um, find some money and launch out into it. And then every year I just add books to it. Um, Logos is great because they actually give away a free monthly book, which I just keep adding into my library, buy what I need. I've got now a vast resource of Bible commentaries, Bible dictionaries, Bible handbooks um, that I really uh, will give me perspective and value that the free stuff on the internet won't get. So the best scholars um, that are out there in, in your particular stream and the movement that you're in, your best scholars within your movement, within your particular theological stream, uh, you won't get all their material free on the internet. You need to buy their material. And I think whether you buy it um, paperback store it in a massive library or whether you buy it and have it digitally available. Um, these these resources uh, will save you. <laughs> Can I be candid, Jeff? They'll save you from preaching rubbish. Uh, because <laughs> because I, I'm sure you've done this, Jeff. I've done this more than once where I got into a passage of Scripture. I got all inspired and I saw some things there that I thought were absolutely wonderful. And then I thought, you know what, I might just check a, a couple of scholars uh, that I that I like and appreciate their writings. I might just check what they're saying about this passage, and then found out that that my brilliant, brilliant, I'm sure was Holy Spirit inspired truth. Oh yes, uh, was 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 truth, but not truth out of that passage. <laughs> <laughs> and what can happen, I think, is um, if you if you're not careful, you can preach a right concept but it'd be wrongly connected to the passage that you're in. And I think then you actually, if you keep doing that, you train people to just have a personal, private interpretation of Scripture that I see that, so that must be right and that'll fit, and I won't listen to anybody else's interpretation. It's personal and private. I, I think that's, you know, I don't think that's the way to handle Scripture. I think you handle Scripture in a community of faith, and a community of faith, uh, my community of faith includes scholars and great pastors like Jack Hayford, N.T. Wright, Ben Witherington, uh, Tim Keller, to name a few, Scott McKnight, of course. Um, they're part of my community of faith, and I allow their voice into my world. They give me perspective and angles on it, and they might have different angles, but it, it kind of keeps me, and I've been protected more than once by pre preaching rubbish, by reading these sort of commentators and scholars um, and valuable resources that I think you should spend uh, some good time and good money on to utilize. Man, John, I, I would uh, I would ditto all of what you just said, man. I would echo the same sentiments. In fact, uh, I once bought in my I was in a church for ten years in New York State, 
And while mm. there, I invested in the Word Biblical Commentaries. Mm, now, that's right. a huge, uh, a huge yeah. set of commentaries. Yeah. And I just paid, and I didn't have the money to do it, but I yep. did it anyway. I paid every month. And over the yeah. course of a couple of years, I ended up buying this, this uh, whole collection, this whole, wow. you know, Word Biblical from Thomas Nelson. And it was my pride and joy, but I was a youth yeah. pastor. And I found yeah. after a number of years, I just wasn't using them at all. And, yep. you know, we were having more and more kids. You know, we had our fourth kid, and and mm -hmm. uh, money was tight. And I thought, and eBay was a thing. So okay. I sold the whole kit and caboodle, the wow. whole set, for probably 50 cents on the dollar for what I paid wow. for it. But wow. I think I got like $800 for it. Somebody just bought it off of me. Off, yep. off eBay, like the first day I had it up, and I we packaged all those boxes up. I got my eight hundred dollars, and they got a brand new set of commentaries. So it wasn't it wasn't a year later that God moved me to a different church, in mm -hmm. a and not as a youth pastor, but now as a every week preaching pastor. Now I realized, man, I sure wish I had the word biblical commentaries that <laughs> that I used to have. And you know what I did. I went back yep. on that same payment program and I bought that whole set all over again. Oh wow. So I've actually purchased the Word Biblical Commentaries two times. <laughs> so if there's ever going to be a sponsor of this podcast, I'd go after Thomas Nelson and and tell them, man, Word Biblical Commentaries. <laughs> and then and then just recently in the last couple of years, I've invested in and got the uh into the Logos Bible software. Uh actually went to the, started at the gold level. Um, yeah, good. But it was the same thing with that, you know. I couldn't afford that, and so uh, I paid. Uh, I bought uh, it was uh, Logos uh, Bible Software five, and yep. uh, paid for yep. that month by month. And then yep. uh, I allowed the church to to pay the upgrade when it went to Logos six. Good. And the church bought the uh, the upgrade for me, but I bought bought the rest of it. And you're right; it's very complex. Um, yeah. there's a, there's a ton of stuff there, but they've got a lot of tutorials online yeah, and true. that's all it's, I, I couldn't say enough about investing in the yeah. right tools and, uh, people that are vetted, people that are edited, you know, this stuff yeah. is put together. Yeah. It's not just stuff out on the internet. So there's a great, um, website. Um, I just discovered in the last few months, I think I might discover it. Yeah. Through the small church pastor Facebook group. Um, Dave Jacobs group, uh, bestcommentaries.com. Oh, yeah. I don't know if you've ever used that, but that, if, if you want to find out, say if you're going to preach the book of James, you go to bestcommentaries.com and they have all sorts of reviews on commentaries related to James. Um, and they're rated and they're the style, the genre of commentary, whether it's technical or whether it's devotional or pastoral for preaching. Um, they even got links to Amazon where you can buy it. It's unbelievable, that website. It's just a brilliant resource. And that way you can also, um, I've done this over the years, I've used a, a book to do this, but with this website, um, you can kind of cherry pick your commentaries and kind of get the top ones for each kind of book of the Bible um, that you want to focus in on. So I recommend that that website is an absolute. In Australia, we'd say it's a ripper. Jeff. It's a ripper, huh? All right. And that's bestcommentaries.com. Yeah. Yeah. Very brilliant. Cool. Brilliant resource. I certainly recommend that. That's a that's outstanding. Great. Hey, you got tip number six. You say examine your audience. 
Mm, Examine your audience. Now, I'm going to think, I'm going to guess here. I'm going to guess that even somebody like me, who's been in their church for more than 10 years and knows their people, can get a little bit stale on connecting what they're saying to the people that are out there in the pews. Maybe the audience is a little unexamined in recent years. So what do you have to say about that? Yeah, well, I I think if content is king, context is queen. Hmm. So... What you're going to say is is a fundamental, paramount matter. What you're going to put in front of the people to feed feed the flock, feed the sheep, is is vital. But your context uh, rules and reigns in the middle of that content. And I, I think I love what Rick Warren says. Instead of asking what shall I preach on this Sunday, you should ask to whom will I be preaching. Hmm. And I, that's a great supplementary question of content. What shall I preach? Context. Who will actually be listening to me? So, one of the one of the, the tricks I've tried to um, <clears throat> force myself into this because you're right, Jeff. If you're preaching to the same congregation year after year, we know there's mobility and people change. But you're preaching to a very similar demographic year after year in the same context. You can get a bit blasé. You can kind of just kind of, yeah, well, I know who's there. I know what's going on. So what I uh, do every now and again to trigger myself into rethinking this is I create a grid of various members of my church. And so I'll have uh, in front of me, and I like to put their names up in front of me on a piece of paper, um, and I'll have stage of life. So I'll have, you know, uh, young Joel, who's 16 in high school. Um, I'll have uh, Johnny, (laughs) who's about to. You know, father another child, so yeah. you've got a young family, sort of Johnny out out there. Then I've got Beth, who's uh, kind of approaching mid to late uh, 40s. She's got teenagers and into 20-something sort of kids. Um, then then you've got 30, 37-year-old Marion. She's been divorced for five years, and she's trying to raise a teenager by herself. You've got 57-year-old uh, Fred, who's uh, just kind of got bounced out of work, and he's looking for work. And he's kind of worried. Kids aren't home anymore, and he's, you know, he's kind of worried about his future. You got seventy-two-year-old Errol, who's been retired, and uh, but his kind of health issues are struggling. So I have different people named and who they are and their stage of life in front of me, and I'd run my sermon past them. They're my context. I've got my content, but what does that relate? And this this does a number of things uh, to you is it forces you to then run your sermon past Beth, run your sermon past Errol and past Fred and Joel and think, how does this relate to them? How does this relate to their health world, their financial world, their work world, um, their whole sense of their relational world, their marital status, what stage of life are they at? And then you can almost go down to another level, if you like, the emotional well-being of of the people who are here um, in the in the congregation in front of me are some depressed today are some anxious are some very happy have some just brought a new car and feel like they're a million dollars uh, is someone else down to the last hundred dollars in the bank account and they're feeling extremely anxious about the future and you know what that does to me every time I do this Jeff I find it doing to me now while I'm talking about it it pulls me up and I go man, I, I, I need to be sensitive to my flock. These sheep in front of me, they've got real flesh and blood lives. How does this truth help them? And I think at that point, you, you kind of get a combination of um, terror <laughs> and awe 
that the Holy Spirit is the one who is going to do the customized, personalized application at the heart level. And he's going to be able to take the words that you preach and and kind of put them in a context that's relevant to the person, as long as we're working the relevancy as well. I'm sure you've had this where people have come up to you and said something, gee, that was a great uh, message. Thanks so much, Pastor. And I really liked it when you were talking about, and they'll say something and you go, you know what, I cannot remember saying that at all. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like I think the Holy Spirit has taken them on a journey with your words and added to them and applied them in such a way that they've actually, they've gone through a filter into their heart, ministered to them in a way even that you didn't mean, but the Holy Spirit is not limited to us. So I I think I get terrified when I think of the complexity of trying to reach such a varied group when I examine them. But then also I think I go, Lord, I'm trusting you. I really am relying on you to work the spirit and the word together. That's what brings growth, eh? See, that's really good, John. And I, I think that in, in our day and age, again, we can be fooled into thinking that we can get some good ideas, maybe some good video clips, some good outlines, you know, good directions for messages. We can download some series from, you know, Life Church or from some other uh, churches that we follow. And we can fool ourselves into thinking that it's, it really isn't that much work for us to put together a message, to put together a series. We just need an hour or two, you know, on a Saturday or Sunday, and, and we're, you know, we're good communicators. We're just going to go with it. And yeah. let's just dispel that notion that, that it really is. When you, when you named Joel and Errol and Marion and all these people, uh, and you think through the people in your church, and I'll do that too. I'll picture, I'll picture the crowd, and I'll think through the different faces and the different people at different mm-hmm. life stages. You know, the doctor over here, the retired person over here, uh, the young post-college adult over on this side. And, I, and I'll go through. It's hard work preaching, yeah. preaching well. It's, yeah, it's, it's complex, isn't it? You realize that you're trying to make a message that is, is written uh, thousands of years ago to a certain group of people, and you're trying to bring it into a context that relates to people who are living in a different culture. And and I'm, I'm sure you've done this in different parts of the States and, and overseas as well, where you, um, you know, and America is a place with different cultures, where you, you'll go from one part of the States to another, and you'll have a whole different culture, same nation, but a different angle and different use of language even. Then you go overseas into a whole different context, and you think, my goodness, uh, this this kind of communication, getting the hermeneutic right, kind of exegeting the context right is, is quite difficult. It's quite challenging for us. I think one of the reasons that we feel tired after preaching is, is this very point, that the context is challenging for us, not just delivering the content. Absolutely. And I, I just preached this last Sunday on Acts chapter 7, where Stephen mm. gives the history of of the nation uh, to the religious leaders. And, and when he gets right down to it, he passes an indictment on them and they just, they plug their ears and they race toward him, gnashing their teeth and screaming. They drag him out of the city and they stone him. And yeah. I thought, well, Stephen, uh, how good do you think your message was? <laughs> you know, I mean, uh, they, nobody's drugged me outside of the city uh, limits and stoned me. 
uh, well, while, while yeah. I had to look to heaven. I mean, that was a that was a really a really amazing passage to have to preach. But but then to think yeah. about Stephen Stephen had an audience. He had a context, and yeah. he had a message. And yeah. the message had a backdrop, and it had a present day application, and yeah. it had a very direct application and yeah. and again i think we have to live in the tension of the challenging times we live in the whatever world we live in where we're busy people are busy we don't have a lot of time but mm. but there is no good microwaved sermon when it comes no. to application we yeah. we really do have to put it in the crock pot and uh and it's got to be flavored just right and and it's it's a lot of work it just and I, it just I, is. I think this again the the context um probably as much maybe more so than the content demands of us prayer that we we have to be men and women of prayer as we preach in terms of preparing our hearts um, allowing the Lord to work in our hearts because you know what it's like if you study something it starts speaking to you and then you have to wash it through your own world mm. and shifts that you need to make so you're applying it personally before you preach it or and even as you're preaching it walking it out with the people but I think preparing uh, the ground and the heart of the people through prayer, praying for your congregation believing uh, as when you step into the pulpit by faith that the Lord is going to minister to them, he's going to strengthen, he's going to encourage, he's going to rebuke, he's going to exhort, he's going to challenge, he's going to love, he's going to bless. And I think prayer needs to surround our preaching. And uh, a big thing I'm huge on in consulting with pastors is make sure you have prayer support for your whole pastoral life, but make sure that your prayer support people are praying for your preaching they're praying for you as you prepare. They're praying for the congregation as they're readying themselves to hear the, the word of God. Because we are dealing, um, the, the unique thing about preaching, we're dealing in spiritual entities, uh, Jeff, aren't we? We're dealing with spiritual realities and we have opposition in that spiritual reality from our enemy. Um, we have the Holy Spirit working in the midst while we preach the word of God. Therefore, I think, you know, you, this whole basis and, and wave of prayer that must be involved in that preaching for our own heart's sake, but also for the heart of our people is so important. Well, let's just say that would be a whole another podcast episode. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, that you're right. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood, but it is yeah. against the principalities and powers. And totally. that happens not just in the delivery of a message, but even in the preparation of a message. And mm. for me, the older I've gotten, uh, the more, uh, the older I've gotten, the harder it has been for me uh, mm. uh, in the uh, in the actual outworking of the message. Mm. Uh, the more meaningful the outworking has been for me. Mm. And when wow. I say outworking, I mean the preparation uh, yeah. for that. I yeah. I've been telling my wife now for months. I I fuss and fret and fume over <laughs> these messages and. I'm just, you know, when I'm done on a Sunday, I'm just so relieved that I yeah. can stop preparing, you know, it's delivered, it's done. And yeah. I will, the last half of my week, boy, it is my preoccupation because, yeah. and, and what yeah. I'm fussing and fretting over, John, I want to get it right. Because, yeah. because what, what you said earlier, getting the wrong, getting, getting a truth out of the wrong passage. Mm. Mm. means that we didn't preach what that passage was saying. 
Yeah. We preach we preach something else, but we yeah. and it may have been good, but but we didn't preach what that yeah. we missed what the passage was saying. And yeah. I'm so concerned I want to preach what the passage is saying because it yeah. is powerful. Every every passage is powerful and it's That's in right. a context and it's a part of the threaded story of God from Genesis to Revelation yeah. and so right. uh, I'll get off my soapbox now. <laughs> can I um? I'll just can I add a little bit just a just sure. a thought about context yep. when you're when you're speaking in uh, an unfamiliar surrounding um, as a guest speaker um, is a phrase I'd use in Australia. So every Sunday because I'm now uh, itinerating, I, I'm pretty well in a different church every Sunday. Hmm. Um, sometimes overseas as well. Um, it's so vital to know the context um, when you're preaching in a different area to know the context of that area and what's relevant to the people in that area in terms of their own town. So reading the local newspaper, getting onto a local website, find out a little bit about so that you can brag about the town in a way and connect with it in a way that people know, hey, uh, you've taken the time to at least get at least a surface knowledge of where I live, which always communicates interest and care and Bottom line, it communicates, hey, I, I love you enough that I've taken a bit of time to find out that the industry in this town is such and such or the beautiful spot is here um, or the needs are here. Paul did that. We see Paul doing that in the book yep. of Acts as he went from city that's to true. city. So that's a really good point. That's true. John, tip number eight in your book, uh, Preaching in a Whatever World, is developing a structure. We need to develop a structure. And, uh, mm. you know, I guess the question is, you know, what are, when you say structure, what do you mean by that? Give us an example of some of the structures that you have used. Yeah, yeah, I think uh, structures can help you in your preparation and also in your remembering of your message and therefore your delivery. So uh, when you come to where do I start with a sermon? So let me give you a few structures I've used uh, over the years and I weave in and out of these structures. Uh, depends what sort of sermon, style of sermon I'm preaching. But I find when I go with a structure, I then kind of have got a framework that I can be, begin to add, add a bit more skeleton to and then flesh finally. So one structure I've used is I call it SIA, State, Illustrate, Apply. Hmm. So state the principle that you want people to get, illustrate it with a story, Bible story, personal story, and then application. What do you want people to do with it? And you can build a sermon with a state, illustrate, apply, and then rinse and repeat, rinse and repeat. Yeah. So you can like three times. Here's the thing I want to tell you. Here's a story to tell you about that. This is what you should now do. Then you do SIA. Again, that's one very simple structure. Also works very well for very short messages. When you've only got five minutes, run with SIA, state, illustrate, apply. It saves you waffling, uh, filling up your five minutes with rambling. Because you kind of think it's not. In fact, I find shorter messages harder to prepare for because you're corralled into a real strong boundary. So SIA, I find very helpful. Cool. Um, Another structure, two questions, answer two questions. What do I want the people to know? What do I want the people to do? So I call this a know and do structure. And you can build a sermon with this structure. So the first half of the sermon 
is I'm going to tell people what I want them to know. So let's say we're preaching on prayer. So I want them to know that God answers prayer. The Lord wants us to pray. Uh, Jesus prayed. Paul prayed. Paul asked for prayer. whole bundle of things about prayer. Great saints over the years have prayed. And a whole bundle of knowledge and information. Okay, now that's the first half of the sermon. Second half is what do I want them to do? Okay, let's talk about your prayer life. Um, what does prayer look like for you? How long should you pray? What should you pray? When should you pray? Where should you pray? How should you pray? So again, a whole big application, second half of the message. Um, a fourth uh, structure that I've used uh, over the years, I call it launch, build, bring it on home. Uh, so the launch. Uh, <laughs> bring it on home. I like yeah, that. Bring it on home. The, this structure um uh, forces me to think about the start of my sermon strongly. The first two don't. This one, so on my, and I will set this up on Word documents, so I'll have um, something like launch at the top, uh, the title of the message, then I'll have the big idea, I'll have the date and the church that I'm preaching in, if I'm preaching in my own church or another church, and then I'll have the launch. Well, sometimes I'll put launch pad. In other words, I want to get this thing up and moving. I want to get it above gravity. I want, I've got to put a lot of power in here. So what's my launch pad? Then build will be the structure of the sermon. I might use a bit of know and do, a bit of SIA in that. And then bring it on home will be another heading I use at the very bottom of the sermon, which reminds me, what do I want people to do? How am I going to apply this? How am I going to wrap this up? Uh, studies on people's attentiveness uh, for lectures or sermons or seminar talks shows that attentiveness is very high at the beginning and very high at the end. Um, it's a bit like flying. People generally are terrified when a plane takes off or when it lands, yeah, not when exactly. it's cruising through the air. And that's pretty well like a sermon. You've got that initial launch, you're up, people are very attentive, then it settles down to a rhythm where inattention, attention fluctuates. And then when you start to say, well, finally, and people go, oh, good, it's going to finish. <laughs> or I wonder how he's going to finish. Um, but people rise in attention at the end as well. So bring it home is important. How are you going to wrap it up? What's your final thoughts and your call to action? Uh, the last structure, I like this one. This is one by Andy Stanley. You can see, Jeff, that I pinch everything I find around the place. <laughs> Nothing new under the sun. Andy Stanley's book, Communicating for a Change, he, he outlines the structure. Um, and I'll explain the structure. But uh, let me say, first of all, this structure does not work for every type of sermon. Um, I think the others can to a great degree. But this one I find works very well when you're talking about personal matters of the heart. Uh, the structure is five points. Me, we, God, you, and me. So I'll explain it. So maybe you're going to preach on forgiveness. So first you tell a story um, about betrayal that you have experienced. The me section is about I've experienced deep betrayal and someone has wounded me to the, to the quick. I've been cut deeply by this person. And you take the first five minutes to tell your story, build tension in the room. Then you turn it on the crowd, we. When have you been betrayed? Who hurt you? Who cut you? So over about seven or eight minutes of me and we, the tension in the room should be almost palpable. Now, you need a certain style of topic for that to work. I have a sermon about forgiveness 
that that works. In fact, I can get tension in the room within a minute of that first story hmm. that I tell. And about I try and hold that tension for five or six minutes so that people are like, please relieve the tension. And then the third <laughs> section is God, the Bible. Let's turn to the scriptures because, my goodness, I need help. You need help. And you want the people at that point almost nodding, saying, please help us come to a place of forgiveness. You go to the Bible, and then the fourth one is you. Okay, what are you going to do about this? What's your decision now? And you wrap it up with a bit of me where you wrap up with an inspiring sort of finish. I have forgiven. I found forgiveness in Christ. I will forgive others. And I found these benefits, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> well, not blah, 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 but you know what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah. That's a great structure, um, I think, for personal uh, things like forgiveness or jealousy or pride, things that you know I've wrestled with it. Hey, I reckon you might wrestle with this as well. Um, and the right storytelling, um, yeah, I, I think adds tension. I, I think a couple of things about structure that I'm big on, Jeff, is that launch strong, launch strong. You must launch strong. People are used to, when they read articles today in newspapers, on websites, when they watch TV shows, when they watch movies, then they watch the news. They're used to the first three minutes is strong. It's powerful. It grabs your attention. They don't run the funny, weird story on the news in the first three minutes. They run the, the grabber, the headline, the big attention one. Um, learn to preach in that sort of way. People are used to it. Never be afraid of getting tension into a message. Look where you can add tension. Not always possible, but whenever you can add tension, don't relieve it too quick. Allow people to get a little bit nervous, a little bit squirmy. Allow that to happen. Read Jesus' sermons. He had no qualms about pe making people feel uncomfortable. Um, now, the pastoral side of us doesn't enjoy that. The shepherds saw, oh, I don't want to make people feel uncomfortable. Jesus had no qualms about making people be confronted with truth in such a way that was designed to move them from discomfort then to freedom by knowing the truth and connecting with it. And probably the last thing I'd say about structure is if, if, people, if people leave the sermon not knowing what to do, it's not preaching. I don't know what it is, but it ain't preaching in my mind. People need to know, okay, I will now forgive this person. You're going to ask them right then and there. I want you to make a decision right now to forgive this person. And every day this week, you're going to pray forgiveness for that person. You're going to state forgiveness. You're going to start this afternoon. <clears throat> when your head is a bill at a night, you're going to forgive that person. And you apply, apply, apply. If there's no application, I don't think it's preaching. That's how I think when I'm coaching someone. If people walk away and say, gee, that was nice information, there's no transformation and um, the thing lacks. You can tell I'm getting a bit passionate now. Man, John, this, this sounds like hard work, man. I don't think I can slap this thing <laughs> together on a Saturday afternoon. Man, you're making a sweat here. I think that's where structure helps you, but because if you even if you just take Heibel's two questions, what do I want them to know? What do I want them to do? And you run your sermon through that filter and you realize, you know what? I, I'm not sure I've told them what I want them to do. And you answer that question. If you can answer it, you can tell people, and then they can answer it. So that's where structure really helps the hard work of 
am I achieving what I'm trying to achieve here? Yeah, you're right. When you use structure, it, it actually helps you to do a better job and it mm-hmm. helps you to actually do it. I mean, we could waste a yeah. lot of time throwing a lot of information around and churning a lot yeah. of information around in our minds, but the yeah. structure helps us to organize it and then present it in a, in an eatable way. Uh, yeah. for our congregation. Yeah. You talked about, you know, getting it off the launch pad. You know, you got to get sufficient sufficient force to get lift off. And mm. I was thinking about uh, a guy once told me that, you know, when you're finishing your sermon, it's kind of it is kind of like being on an airplane ride because, you know, oh. you, you hear the you hear the pilot come on and he's like, you know, we're going to be on the ground in about uh, 20 minutes. Uh, we'll have you on the ground and uh, to your gate. And I always look at my watch, look at my phone, check the time, and, you know, I mentally note when the wheels will be on the ground. Yep. And yep. then I look, and, you know, we're flying, and we're we're kind of descending, and then we're we're slowing down, and then we're speeding up just a little bit, and we're kind of, you know. Yep. And I look down, and it's like 22 minutes, 24 minutes. 20, <laughs> every minute after about 22, 24 minutes is like a half an hour. Yeah, and you're true. like, when are we going to hit the ground on this thing? You know, and it's really bad when the people in the pew are just like, they feel like we're going to hit touchdown any time now, but it just keeps going and going. <laughs> and then there's the other part where, you know, you, you don't real you know, you crash, you know, and everybody gets hurt and everybody gets burned and nobody likes yeah. that landing either. Uh, but it's, it's great when you, you know, the pilot says, yeah, we're going to be coming in. We're going to get you to your gate. And he just lands the plane, you know, yeah, it's right, right on time, two minutes early, you know, you're to yeah, your gate and you're, you're, you're on with your life. Uh, of yep. course, with the action, with the application, that was. Uh, it's like um, it's like that young preacher asked an old preacher, "What did you think of my sermon?" And the old preacher said, "Well, it's like the peace and the mercy of God." And the young guy felt great. <laughs> the old guy said, "Well, it's like the peace of God that it passed all understanding. It was like the mercy of God that I thought it was going to last forever." <laughs> <laughs> oh wow, that's that's to young John, right? That was for young John. That's young John, right there, man, right there. <laughs> Hey, hey! Uh, one more, one more tip, quick. Uh, tip thir- yeah. We're going to jump all the way to tip thirteen of the twenty-one yep. preaching cool. tips and preaching in a whatever world is get and maintain a free spirit. Yeah, that one's speaking to me right now because yeah. I told you I've been fussing and fretting and fuming over yeah. my messages, uh, and I think about that in the in Sunday mornings. I'm in my office before the service, and I'm trying to get myself into the zone. Where, you know, you step out there, you get on the platform, you do have freedom. And for me, it's freedom to love the people while I'm preaching to them, you know, to look at them to, you know, Jesus looked in the crowds and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Well, well, you get to be the shepherd standing there. So at least they're not sheep without a shepherd. But you yeah. still can look out and you have compassion on the people. And so so what do you mean by get and maintain a free spirit? I think uh, specifically, uh, and just a short approach to it, but I call the Sunday morning between a pastor waking up and the first song the most under-analyzed time of a pastor's week. No one really talks about it in conferences or seminars, but I think it's one of the most critical moments or hours from when a pastor wakes up to the very first song. So what I coach pastors to do is to clear the decks Sunday morning um, and just not not have any distractions going on 
that you don't have to put up with. Now, in church plants, in, in, in smaller churches, um, that means you've got to get far more organized to make that happen. And when a church gets a larger, it's kind of up to 100, 120 people, then, then this is easier to do. But I would say get as much done if you're in a small church or a startup church, get as much done Saturday as you can in regards to set up for the church. Um, get as many people involved in physical setup if you need to do that in a church plant in a setup situation on Sunday so that the decks on Sunday morning are as clear as you possibly can. Mm. So firstly, you're not having any in-depth conversations with your spouse. You're not discussing the family budget. You're not discussing the credit card. You're not discussing the children. Mm. There's no heavy chats on Sunday morning. Get some space where you can pray, where you can read through your message again, where you can have it bubbling foremost in your heart. Turn the phone off. Don't go to email. Don't go to text messages unless you know there's something that you really need to handle before Sunday morning church, but preferably no emails. Certainly just stay away from every distraction online that you possibly can. Nothing worse than reading a disgruntled member's email they've sent late Saturday night, reading that Sunday morning, your preaching is going to be messed up in your head because of that email. Stay away from it. Keep the air as clear as possible from when you wake up right through the first song. Put some worship music on in the car. And I know when you've got young children, this is difficult to do, but keep it as clean and as clear as you possibly can. Don't have any heavy conversations before church. Save them for after church if you have to have them. And I'm talking normative here, uh, Jeff. I know there's situations where crises have to be attended to, but normally pastors do your absolute best to keep your spirit calm, clear, relaxed and prayerful on a Sunday morning. So you're entering into the worship, into the service with the minimal amount of distractions and things grabbing for your heart. Um, because everything will assail you at different times on Sunday morning to clutter your spirit up rather than have a clear, free and uh, clean spirit ready to minister. And I like what John said when he, he talked about never living long enough to preach everything that's in the Bible. There's so much raw material there, and isn't that the truth? That is one of my biggest frustrations in preaching is that it's hard to know when to stop because when you're in a passage especially when you're trying to plumb the depths of a particular pericope, a particular stretch of scripture. It is so hard to shut it down because you can't plumb the depths of scripture. And it's, it's true. And then John talked about Sunday mornings. You know, I get up most Sunday mornings at either four or five, and I spend several hours in my home office just going over my message, preaching it through to, to the wall across from my desk and changing it and just, uh, you know, tweaking and changing. And then at 7 a.m., I will upload my material that I need to give to uh, the church tech team. But I do that on Sunday mornings. I just need to be alone. I need to take everything from the week and just let it all filter down and sift down once again on a Sunday morning, no matter how many times I go through it during the week, I'm not ready until I go through it on Sunday morning. So I appreciate what John just said at the end here. So pastor, it's been this whole week we've been talking about preaching 
tomorrow you have an opportunity to do that. Maybe maybe you're doing it tonight already, uh, but I pray that you will have a great ministry in your teaching and preaching and uh, talking about God's Word this weekend. Thanks for listening to uh, this episode, and I will catch up with you on Monday on the Coaching for Pastors podcast. Oh,